Hi, I'm Tyler Saltzi, pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship in Peru, Illinois. Our mission at Grace Bible Fellowship is to magnify the glory of the triune God in Christ Jesus by proclaiming God's word to advance the gospel in our lives and the world. We base who we are and what we do on the good news of Jesus. If you would like to find more information about Grace Bible Fellowship, you can visit our website at www.gbfperu.org. I'm so thankful you've come here to listen to God's Word proclaimed as we seek to understand it and be transformed by it. I hope you find this time meaningful, challenging, convicting, joyful, and even life-changing as we worship through the preaching of God's Word. If you have your Bibles this evening, would you turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. At the heart of the Christian faith is the cross. And if that seems at all the most fundamental, the most basic statement that we could make in regard regard to the Christian faith, perhaps it means we need to hear it all the more. Christ did not bear our sin in his body in a generic sense. Jesus Christ bore our sin in his body in a very personal and direct sense. Your sins and my sins are not general beggaries, a fog, a cloud, a mist, Our sins are very personal. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image. You shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. You shall keep the Sabbath day holy. You shall honor your father and your mother. You shall not steal. You shall not murder. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his house. We have not sinned against God generally. We have sinned against God specifically. And our specific sins must be dealt with. That is why Christ was crucified. To take our sins our sins of idolatry, our sins of blasphemy, our sins of stealing, murder, adultery, taking his name and making it meaningless. He took those sins upon himself so that we might be saved.
And Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he came to preach the gospel. So would you stand with me as I read just two verses tonight I want us to focus on. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 17 and 18. We stand for the reading of God's word because we want to respect God's word, honor God's word. If you are unable to stand, we trust you are respecting God's word in your heart. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, may your word have its perfect way in us as we submit to it and listen to it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. There is a word that I believe we need to reclaim, and that word is evangelical. We are evangelicals. What does that mean? It means that we are those who focus on the evangel. And who is that? That is our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. Evangelical means people of good news. The greatest news that there is in the world is the news about Jesus Christ, what he has done. Not only has he come to earth to live the perfect life, but that he came to redeem mankind and to reconcile mankind to God through his death. And so we need to tell people, unashamedly, we are evangelicals because we are gospel people. That is who we are. That is what we are about. And if we are gospel people, we must also be cross people. Not cross as in angry, cross as in the cross of Christ. We are not to lose sight of our salvation that comes to us through the cross of Jesus. We are not to lose sight of our redemption, our forgiveness, our atonement. You cannot understand Christ without the cross. And a crossless Christianity is a Christless Christianity. This is what we need to win back. This is what we need to fill into that meaning of what it means to be an evangelical. Our identity is bound to Christ, and so therefore our identity is also bound to the cross. How do we identify ourselves? We are those who believe in the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ on the cross. That is, Jesus took our place on the cross. Jesus died the death that we deserve to die on the cross. And we receive His righteousness. There were problems at the church in Corinth. 
particularly there were divisions within the church. People in the church were claiming to follow the person who baptized them. So you see that even before the verses that we read. Some say, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Paul comes to them and says, is Christ to be divided? Was Paul crucified for you? No, Christ is not to be divided, one. And secondly, no, Paul was not crucified for these people. By claiming to follow various people, they were dividing Christ and they were dividing His church and they were downplaying and minimizing the all-sufficient sacrifice of Christ. In the midst of these divisions, what is it that Paul said is needed? What's the remedy to these divisions? Well, I think it's what Paul says in the verses that we read. For Christ did not send me to baptize. Is Paul saying that baptism is unimportant? No. Baptism is important. It's the first step, the initial step. The initial obedience in one's walking in the newness of life that they have in Christ. An outward identifier for those who now belong to Jesus Christ. How horrifying now that these baptized people were identifying themselves with people other than Christ. When someone goes underneath the water and then comes back up, what's happening? They are identifying with Christ, right? As Christ was to take the judgment of God and die and be buried. So this person goes underneath the water as a depiction that they were once under that judgment. But now what? As Christ has been raised, so this one has been raised with Christ to walk in the newness of life. Baptism is about identifying with Christ, and these people were now identifying with people other than Christ. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. The whole point of baptism is someone saying, I follow Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Baptism was to proclaim their allegiance to Christ, not any other man or leader in the church. As necessary as baptism is, Paul was sent by Christ to preach the gospel. Baptism is right and necessary and good, an act of obedience, but baptism does not save anyone. But the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Preaching the gospel makes gospel people. And our lives are to be centered on the gospel because the gospel is what unites the people of God into Christ's body. Center your lives on the gospel, not on teachers of the gospel. People will quickly pride, take pride in the preachers that they like. Maybe you have a particular preacher that you like to listen to, a podcast, on the internet, on the radio. But guess what? 
Preachers will never unify the people of God. Only the gospel that they preach unifies people to God. So gospel preaching must be cross-centered preaching. Isn't that what Paul says? Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And gospel preaching is cross-centered preaching. You can't preach the gospel without the cross. And here is the question that we need to ask ourselves time and time and time again. Is the word of the cross, is the word of Jesus Christ and him crucified, is that word enough or do we need something else? Do we need instead of that word of the cross, do we need eloquent words of wisdom? Or words that display our cleverness? Or words that are cutesy? The preaching of the gospel is never to be done with eloquent words of wisdom. Preaching the gospel this way would be to preach an anti-gospel because you would make the cross ineffective. Eloquent words of wisdom are used when one believes that the cross of Christ is not enough. Is the cross of Christ enough to save sinners? Then preach the cross. If you don't believe the cross is enough, you have to use eloquent words of wisdom. These words in Paul's day were employed in the Roman culture by professionals who spoke with great oratory skill and rhetoric. They focused more on the form, the style, than the content. It was confining the preaching of the gospel with human worldly wisdom. Or to put it another way, let's think about it like this. What is it that makes a good sermon? Have you thought about that before? What is it that makes a good sermon? I've taken classes on it, multiple classes on it, and oftentimes sermon preparation classes are to tell you what makes a good sermon. Make sure you have some good illustrations. Sprinkle in some stories. Put in some personal antidote, Pastor. That's really what connects, connects you with other people. Use more humor. Be more conversational. Lighten up. Lighten up, Pastor. We just need, we just need some warm fuzzies. Is that how God would have us preach his gospel? Is it what we would say makes a good public speaker? The problem is when people are wowed more by the eloquent words of wisdom than by the word of the cross. Perhaps we think we will win people with our cleverness and with our cutesiness, and then we'll slip in the gospel through the back door. The cross, though, is the only way into the gospel. You can't win people with eloquent words of wisdom, with your oratory skill, with wowing them with your 
speech and then try to slip in the gospel through the back door. When one preaches with what Paul calls here eloquent words of wisdom, it empties the cross of its power. It diminishes the cross. It brings the cross to nothing. It nullifies it. It makes it void. Eloquent words of wisdom makes the cross ineffective. When this kind of man-centered technique is used, the cross becomes useless. And people have no need of the cross because they've not been shown that they need a Savior. And so if they don't need the cross and they don't need the Savior, then they probably don't need God either. The cross becomes useless when people aren't really sinners. Perish the thought. Perish the thought of the cross becoming useless for then, Christ died for no reason, for no purpose. The cross has become a tragedy, a waste. Eloquent words of wisdom used to proclaim the gospel desecrates the cross of Christ. What happens when these eloquent words of wisdom are used? It's manipulative. They elevate their oratory skill, they divide people into certain statuses. And the preaching of the gospel is used as a vehicle for promoting self-esteem, self-fulfillment, and self-assertion. It turns the cross upside down and empties it of all that the cross offers and all that the cross demands. Words of eloquent wisdom are a shortcut to transformation and they nullify the means of restoring one's relationship with God. The preacher who is only out for results bypasses the transformative and promissory power of the cross and nullifies it. These words of man's wisdom don't change anybody. They make you feel good. They make you think you know a lot. They make you think you are right. They impress you. They captivate you. They might even arrest your attention, but they will never change you. And the danger of this kind of preaching lies in the fact that you become self-congratulating. This kind of preaching, what it does is it says, makes you pat yourself on the back. Oh man, you're really great. You're really, you're really good. You got it all together. What happens when the people of God become self-congratulating people? Let me tell you what happens. There's no more repentance. There's no more conviction of sin. Self-congratulating people are entirely at odds with the cross. The other danger of using these eloquent words of wisdom is that it puts the audience as those who judge the sermon. Maybe we do that still. What did you think of the sermon today? Did you like the sermon? Oh, yeah, it was a really great sermon. I loved it. Oh, you know what? Pastor bombed today. It was really bad. 
When one preaches with eloquent words of wisdom, there is a judgment by the audience which is consumeristic and status-obsessed. Did I like it? Did it do anything for me? Was I really impressed by it? Was I wowed by it? But what happens when you preach the gospel and the word of the cross? The listeners are no longer the one in the judgment seat, but they realize that the judgment is upon them. That they stand condemned as sinners, if not for the cross of Christ, if not for his saving power, if not for his divine grace, if not for his amazing mercy, if not for his steadfast love. It is impossible, it is impossible to make the word of the cross appealing to everyone. I mean, do you think preaching the cross, that I, that I have this, this idea, I don't want to offend anyone. I don't want to make anyone upset. Listen, I am not going out of my way to offend you. I'm not seeking to offend you. It's not my desire to make you upset. But you will be. I don't have to try. By simply preaching the cross, some will be upset. Some will be angry. Some will mock, some will deride, some will oppose, and some will storm out. But the alternative, eloquent words of wisdom, that leaves people dead in their sins. Paul does not want the cross to be emptied of its power. And then look at verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Why is the word of cross folly to those who are perishing? This is the view and estimation of man. When man uses his own reasoning, his own intellectual powers, his own measure of what works, he judges the cross to be folly. A crucified Savior? No way! That doesn't work. That doesn't do it for me. In fact, some of the oldest graffiti that we have is the depiction of a cross with a man who has the head of a donkey, and below it is another man bowing down. And below it, it says, Alexa Menos worships his God. That's what the world thinks of a crucified Savior. And it wasn't, that was thousands of years ago, that graffiti. Guess what? It hasn't changed. If we are evangelicals and we worship a crucified Messiah and Savior, guess what? That is what the world is going to think of us. Guarantee it.
Paul says this word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing because it is a stumbling block to Jews. Jews could not comprehend this. They know Deuteronomy 21, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus Christ can't be our Messiah because that action right there was shown that he was cursed by God. He was anathema. He was cut off from God. There is no way that he can be our Savior and our Messiah. But Paul says Jesus Christ became a curse for us. He bore our curse. He bore our shame on the cross. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Paul also says that it's folly to the Gentiles because God chose what is foolish, what is weak, what is lowly, what is despised in the world for salvation. Do you know what Paul says here a little bit later? That's, that's you and that's me. We are those who are the low, the despised, the weak, the foolish, the people of no reputation, the people that you would not choose to be on your team. Jesus Christ crucified to them is shameful, it's embarrassing, it's something to be derided and brought low, not something to be exalted. And this word here that Paul uses, for those who believe the word of cross is folly, to those who are perishing those who are on their way to ruin because of their human folly. The gospel is veiled to those who are perishing. This is the one who is wise in his own eyes. And what happens to these people who are perishing when the word of the cross is preached, when Christ is preached? A fragrance goes out. And for the perishing, it's a fragrance of death to death. It's a fragrance that reminds them that there is no hope if they are to reject Christ. They are those who have refused to love the truth of the cross, the truth of Jesus, and so be saved. They are deceived and blinded. And people are responsible for their own state of perishing. That's the idea here, those who are perishing. It's, it's used in this tense that we don't really have in the English language, but there's this idea where they are not only the subject, they are the perishing, but they actually are involved in the action. In that sense, they are responsible for their own perishing. Not only are they the perishing, because of their lives, because of how they live, because of their disobedience, because of their rejection of the gospel and their rejection of Christ, they're responsible for their own perishing. It's not the word of the cross that has failed those who are perishing. 
it is that these rely upon their own power, their own strength, themselves, their own pride. <laughs> like the people of the, of the Tower of Babel, we will make a name for ourselves. We will be great. And I think here there's a point of application for us. We are to be those who are broken hearted over the perishing. We continue in patiently preaching the word of the cross in light of the perishing. But our heart breaks. We want to see the perishing come in. We want to see the perishing have the veil removed from their eyes so they see the light of the glory of the gospel of God in the face of Jesus Christ and that they put their faith and trust in this crucified Savior who bore their sins on the cross and so be saved. We pray for that. We want that. We long for that. It breaks our heart that there are perishing people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that everyone who believes in him, what? Will not perish. There's an event in Christ's life where they're on a boat, Jesus and his disciples making the way across the Sea of Galilee and a ferocious storm comes upon them. Waves are crashing into the boat. Jesus is asleep. And the disciples, as they are bailing water perhaps out of the boat, come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, Jesus, don't you care that we are perishing? How ironic. That is exactly why Jesus has come, because he cares about the perishing. He is not asleep. He has not failed. In fact, he died to show us how much he cares that we do not perish. I pray tonight that you are not in that category. If you are, come to Jesus. Put your faith and trust in him. He will save you from all of your sins. He will rescue you. He will forgive you. He will give you the gift of eternal life. He will not forsake you. He will not cast you out. He will not turn you away. His arms are open wide. Come to Jesus. Rest in him. For those who are perishing, the word of the cross is folly. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The word of the cross is at the heart of our faith and practice as Christians. It provides the basis for our Christian identity. And it's through this word of the cross that God's transformative power is at work in us to reshape our Christian experience. The most powerful persuasion in gospel preaching is proclaiming the cross. God has made worldly wisdom look like foolishness through the cross. Because exalting a crucified Christ contradicts worldly wisdom. There was the category of the perishing before, but now what is this other category? But to us who are, beautiful words, 
being saved. Beautiful because sometimes we use this language of saved in different ways. I am saved, past tense. I will be saved, future. But here, Paul gives us this beautiful picture. We are those who are being saved. It's used to describe something that is happening to believers now, in the present. Salvation is doing a work in us today. We see, we experience, and we know the power of God because we see it at work in us. What a beautiful picture this is that Paul is painting for us. He says the proclamation of Jesus Christ and Him crucified is not only for the rescuing of sinners from death and hell and themselves and the dominion of sin, but the word of the cross is also for the transforming of believers now, today. The word of the cross is power because look at who God has chosen. God has chosen us. We are demonstrations of the power of God. Undeniable change takes place in believers. Our lives bear witness to the almighty power of God, which is at work in us through the word of the cross. It is through the cross that God's transforming activity becomes operative, effective, actualized. Dear brother and sister, we still need to hear the cross often and regularly. We should never be far from the cross. The power of the cross is the power of God put on the supreme display and it's still being shown in our lives today. But this maybe is the most difficult lesson that we have to learn tonight. Gospel people focused on the cross results in cruciform lives. Gospel people focused on the cross results in cruciform lives. What this means is that your life will look like the death of Christ. Your life will look like the cross. Your life will look like suffering and pain and death. But this is the life that God has designed for the followers of Jesus Christ because it's through cruciform lives that the power of God is put on display for the world to see. We pray that we would be lights that shine in this dark world. Dear brother and sister, it's going to come through suffering and through pain and through difficulty and through hardship and through tribulation. 
It's going to come from people who are barely hanging on. It's going to come from people who don't know where else to turn. Because that is where the power of God is displayed. Because that is where the word of the cross is made known to the world. Because there, people begin to see what Paul says when he says, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ. Christ crucified. Christ dead and buried. Christ living again in me. You will go through suffering and hardship and trial and pain and suffering. How are we going to endure? Only by the word of the cross, the very power of God at work in us. pray. Father, let us continue to preach the gospel. Let us continue to be those who are focused on the cross. Let us be those who live cruciform lives so that your power might be on display through us. And let us hold fast to a crucified Messiah, Jesus Christ. For he is all that we have. But he is all that we need. If you would prepare for the Lord's Supper at this time, if you didn't get a cup on the way in. Uh, Eric's in the back. He has those for you there. But if you would take a moment and prepare that bread, uh, take it out there, put it in your hand, a way for us to visibly demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ tonight, to hold this bread and this cup in our hand, this bread which represents the body of our blessed Lord and Savior, and this cup which represents his precious blood. We do this in remembrance of him. We do this to proclaim his death until he returns. We do this because we are gospel people and cross people and people who never want to be far from the sacrifice of Jesus. So would you take a moment to examine yourself this time is for those who are believers in Jesus Christ. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, we welcome you around the table with us to partake. With us, if you are not a believer, we just ask that you would refrain from taking it this time. But spend this time to meditate on what we have talked about tonight, what Christ has done on the cross. Would you take a moment now, though, to prepare your hearts by meditating on the body of Christ, examining yourself, discerning the body.
1 Corinthians 11:23 says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. And now as you prepare the cup, would you take some time to meditate on Christ's precious blood, which cleanses us from all of our sin. same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you will proclaim the Lord's death until he comes take and drink Father, we remember Jesus and his sacrifice for us. May the gospel be of first importance in our lives. That Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried in a tomb and rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he is the one to whom we owe our full allegiance and devotion. Thank you that he paid the price, the full price of our redemption. We pray this in his name. Amen.